What's your problem, Jumbotron? Shut up, redneck man. Welcome to Tessa Watches Lost, Monkey Off My Backlog's second weekly podcast where one of us reacts to a TV show that the other has forced us to watch. I'm your host, Sam, and with me is Tessa, the Dharma brand microbus to my Hurley. Hello. I don't know exactly what that means. It took me a second to follow that whole line of thought, but I'm here now, and I'm here for it. I have arrived. This week, we're talking about the season three episodes, Not in Portland, Flashes Before Your Eyes, Stranger in a Strange Land, and Trisha Tanaka is dead. We're out of the pod, y'all. Tessa, have you ever wished somebody would be hit by a bus and then they were hit by a bus? You know, sadly, that's never happened to me. There are several people that I do actually really wish would be hit by a bus. I like that they straight up try to gaslight her. And by like, I mean, I hate. But it's just like, she's like, I want him to be hit by a bus. And then he's hit by a bus. And they're like, we didn't hit him with a bus. You never said that. New phone, who dis? Actually, no, they didn't say that last part because they wanted her to come with them to not Portland. Okay, so yeah, in general, what have we learned about Dharma Initiative slash Metello Bioscience over these episodes? Well, I my new current theory is that Dharma Initiative is Spectre and that... <laughs> Blofeld will show up at any minute with a cat, just like petting it. And that's the he that they, I'm going to make this pat, I'm going to make this cat petting motion for the rest of the episode. Whenever we talk about the Dharma initiative. For the record, this would be better than what actually happened in this show and in No Time to Die. Could you imagine if you had a whole show like Lost that got people invested and you had people writing like 3,000 word recaps a week and then the end of it, surprise, it's actually a Bond movie. I would not be upset by that. Like J.J. Abrams enters the Bond first. Hey, actually, this brings up a great question of all of the Losties. Mm-hmm. And if it's somebody who hasn't shown up yet, just tell me it's someone who hasn't shown it's up Kate. yet. Who would be it's Bond? Kate. It's Kate. It's Kate. Kate would be Bond? All Obviously. Right. Not Naveen Andrews. Oh, yeah. No, Saeed would be a good... Okay, I'll tell you what. It's Kate. Right? Right. Okay. But I could also see Naveen Andrews doing uh, that as Saeed, to be very clear. I could... Now, see, Daniel Day Kim could do it, but not his character. Not as... Nah, yeah. that, that Jin don't got it. Yeah. Saeed's uh, no, got it. That. Kate's got it. And uh, I don't know if Desmond could do it or not. Oh, I hadn't even thought about Desmond. I mean, he's he got the accent. be in the running. Right. Yeah, he'd be a return to like the Scottish yeah. Sean Connery bond. I, I feel like I feel like if we were going to just totally flip things and had, you know, Kate Austin as Bond, like an American Bond, then Desmond Hume would be a good Felix Lighter character. Oh, like, I see. Like the counterpart. The, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, that makes sense. I, Who I would, would be the best Bond girl? This is the this is the situation where the Bond and the Bond girl are the same. Are the we same. had this conversation. Usually it's Chanel Monet that we have this right. conversation about. Well, not Jack. 
No. No, it's Sawyer. It's, it's clearly Sawyer again. Sawyer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because there's more usually more than one girl. So Sawyer would be the Bond girl. Would Jack be like the first girl who dies halfway through this the movie? Would Jack be the first girl who dies halfway through the movie? Yeah, I'd I'd be okay with that. Okay. All right. I can I can see that. All right. Back to the Dharma initiative. Now that we've gotten way off topic. That not, never not, happens on this podcast. Not too off topic, actually. But we do learn about them that they have a lot of control outside of the island. We learn that from the Juliet-centric episode, Not in Portland, because not only do they clearly kill her ex-husband, who deserved it, by the way. Like, I'm... I get it. I get it. But they also pull the strings in order to get her to this island. They clearly have a lot of influence, so they're working either for the U.S. government, some other form of government, or it is a specter-like situation wherein they are like a group of people who are pursuing research outside of national interests. All right. They're very powerful, though. That's my point, is okay. that we? I thought maybe they were just really well-funded and they had this private island that they hid from the rest of the world, but they clearly operate outside of the island. Like, they clearly right. operate in nefarious ways within, like, the U.S., at least. And, you know, the whole deal about where the island is, right? It's somewhere on the flight path between Sydney and L.A., but you can get there from the continent of Africa in a small plane on a single gas tank. And now we have a new clue. It is not in Portland. Maybe they got blown off course. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's in Springfield. (laughs) Which is not in Oregon, even though that's where Matt Groening is from. This is where Mr. Burns shows up with the Smithers. They're actually running the Dharma Initiative. Who's more likely to run the Dharma Initiative, Blofeld or Burns? Excellent. (laughs) Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Dharma Initiative is a multinational terrorist adjacent corporation slash concern that is doing Skinnerian behavioral psychological experiments, but are also doing things with like fertility drugs and stuff like that. Is that, is that it? Is that where we are? Yes, because Juliet is a, we were told that she's an OB, fertility, doctor, researcher before, but we actually get to see that in the flashback episode, not in Portland. And unlike Libby, who claimed to be a clinical psychologist, but was not, that we know of, Juliet was actually telling the truth. Now, how has your opinion on Juliet evolved in these last four episodes? So, not in Portland might be one of my favorite episodes of Lost. Like, it is way up there in terms of... I think I even turned to you and said, this was a very good episode of Lost after it was over. Juliet has gone up in my estimation. I really like how they characterized her and how they gave us her motivations for not only being on the island, right? Because they really did this thing where she was in this emotionally abusive relationship with her ex-husband, right? She she has this one, there's this wonderful moment where the Dharma Initiative dude offers her this job, no strings attached. It's just outside of Portland, whatever. And she says, I can't, she breaks down crying. She's like, I can't do it. He won't let me. He won't let me have anything. And I thought that was marvelous acting on Elizabeth Mitchell's part. 
I loved the relationship with her sister, the way that that's detailed out in just a few scenes. This episode tells us a lot about her and the way that she's sort of been coerced slash tricked into this, but she's also changed as a person between the time that we see her in the flashback and the time that we see her now. She's obviously been through a lot of stuff in order to become the person that she is now. She and Ben clearly have more history than we're seeing here because we don't even see Ben in the flashback. We see Ethan and we see the Dharma Initiative dude. The eyeliner the guy. The eyeliner guy, <laughs> dude. But the idea is, is that we find out she's trying to get off the island too. Like Jack, like the rest of the Lasties, she does not want to be there. She is not actually interested, I think, in whatever the behavioral psychology of this place is because- as soon as Ben offers her a way off the island, she immediately takes it up to and including murdering someone. So I, I really like her now. Like I am, I she has grown in my estimation, even as other characters have decreased in my estimation. And later on in these episodes, not not in not in Portland, but later on, we of course find out that she wants out. She's a prisoner. And and she is tried and is about to have some island justice, uh, Hammurabi code style, if you will, for killing someone who was getting in the way of Sawyer and Kate escaping. Now, of course, we know that Jack bargains with Ben to get the sentence commuted except for being branded, which is super not cool. But we find out that Juliet is becoming very similar to what we know from our point of view of the Losties, people who are getting people who are trapped on the island and are being terrorized by the others. Juliet is apparently at this point in the narrative, just the same. She says she's been there for three years. So she hasn't even seen her nephew that she tried so hard that she helped her sister conceive. Right. So do you think that Juliet's going to be like Desmond? Is she going to get folded into the group? What do I you think? I hope so. I hope so. I mean, she's by the end of that episode or by the end of the episodes we saw, she's hanging out with Jack, right? right? On the boat, on the way back to wherever the others live. By the way, if it turns out, I know we've already seen their village and they have backyards, et cetera. But if it turns out they actually live in a volcano fortress, like that would be the least surprising thing. Sawyer, they have backyards. <laughs> uh, so, okay. Staying with the Dharma initiative for a little bit. I'm going to say something you said when we were watching this. What in the clockwork orange is going on here? Which is great because that's exactly what they were doing. What? They were clockwork oranging Carl. 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 No, actually not. Would that be a fun crossover too? (laughs) Well, I I was going to say earlier, the sheriff. Yeah. She reminds me of the person who was in charge of Alexandria when they got there. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that actually. So yeah, crossover. But yeah, so Alex, who we all knew from the beginning when we first saw her was Rousseau's daughter. I mean, if you didn't know she was Rousseau's daughter, I don't know how to, I, I mean, they picked an actress who looks very much Similar to Rousseau. I, I kind of forgot that they actually haven't established that as fact. Yeah. but I like, mean, they have. Obviously, right? So it turns out, one, she's Ben's daughter. Adopted Gross. daughter, obviously. But she hates him, obviously. Gross. She's like the quintessential rebellious child. And he kind of seems like he deserves it. Gross. Gross. 
Two, she has a boyfriend named Carl. And we don't really know what he did, but we saw him previously in the cage across from Sawyer. I think in the first episode of the season, if I'm correct in my timing. It was during the pod. Right, it was during the pod. He escapes, gets recaptured, gets the crap beat out of him, and then we haven't seen him again. And so finally, Alex tells Kate and Sawyer that she will help them in return for them helping her save Carl. So they trick their way into a Dharma Initiative Others facility, and they find him. I mean, Clockwork Orange is right. That's what they're doing. Clockwork Orange, they have his eyes pulled open. They're, I don't know what that's called exactly, but it's part of behavioral it's psychology. It's called Clockwork Oranging. No, I mean, like, what's the technical term? It's torture is what it is. But they have his eyes open. They're pumping loud music. They're showing a bunch of images, right? They have him connected to, like, a an IV so he doesn't get dehydrated. He, There's no way to know how long he's been in there or how messed up he is because of it. But what's interesting about that is that some of the images we see on there are very biblical references. There are a lot of biblical stuff going on in these episodes of Lost that we just watched. Like it's something like he he will love you as he loved Jacob, and so like things like that are in this this series of flashes that he has. But it's really hard to tell what they were trying to do to him if they were just trying to torture him. If they were trying to like correct him behaviorally, did he do something that brought him there? Or was it just because he was Alex's boyfriend and Ben is like a classic patriarchal dad on a power trip? Like it's hard to know exactly why Carl is in this situation, but it obviously has something to do with his relationship with Alex and the way that Ben is. So they rescue him and carry him away. We don't see a lot of interactions with Carl after that, but it seems like maybe he's okay, question mark. I mean, how could he be? But I don't know. I was expecting him to like Black Widow turn on them at any moment, but he seemed fine. I just want to know why the Dharma Initiative has a clockwork orange room set up in the first place. Yeah, this confuses me. Like, what are they doing? What are they like, doing? Because like, are they observing the Losties? How many experiments do they have set up? Right. What are they experimenting? What are they trying to accomplish through these experiments? Like, why is there a f- fertility doctor on the island? Who's to, who they worked, to know? They who's to say? Really hard to get Juliet there. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe bus accidents are easy for the Dharma although, Initiative to. Although I love how Jack is like, you should have you should have had a good surgeon on the island. And Ben is like, we did have a good surgeon. It was Ethan. <laughs> Well, maybe you shouldn't have had, maybe you shouldn't have your surgeon hanging people. Good Lord. (laughs) All right, fine. Kate and Sawyer escape. Hooray. Hooray! They did it. And Sawyer immediately resumes getting in his own way. Yeah, Sawyer immediately screws stuff up with Kate. It's hard to see this coming. Like, what do you want to say about that? It's like so obvious. So irritating. Like, Okay, fine. I accept that they're supposed to be together. <laughs> Just let them be together. Oh, Why does he have to be like this? She be- even gave him an out. She even said, all you have to do is apologize. And he wouldn't even do that. Because, Tessa, this is lost and we can't have nice things. God. Fine. Anyway. And he also, like, punches Carl because he's crying. Like, what a gross display of masculinity. Gross display. Tessa says. So let's talk about flashes before your eyes. The technical term for what happens in this episode is a time slip. It is not time travel. It's a slip. 
What do you mean by time slip for those in the audience? I'm going to put time slip into context. I think you'll be okay with this. With a bit of a mind flip, you're into the time slip and nothing (laughs) can ever be the same. You're spaced out on sensation like you're under sedation. Let's do the time slip again. Yes. So if you've you you've heard the term time slip before. It is used in the time warp. Basically, he is basically done a slip and fall through time, and he's reenacting a part of his life that he can't diverge from. Time is very very dickish about this, and is like, no, you're meant to do this. They even send him the the store clerk to explain it. To him. Yeah, because when he tries, she's like, no, you don't do that. Right. Do this instead. And how does this make you feel? I like it. Likes it. I still think that him, because we do, we get, we get a return to that shot at the beginning and end of the episode where he's like running naked through the woods after the, after the hatch blows up. Yeah. I love that we keep seeing the hole in the ground where the hatch blew up, where the hatch used to be. But I still think that... Now you're just a hatch that I used to know. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) I still think that him running around naked in the jungle... Remember when Hurley was like, and it blew your underwear off? Yep. I still think that that's supposed to be a reference to the Terminator. I'm not wrong about this. Okay. But I do like the idea... I've always found the idea that time wants to happen a certain way to be interesting. This is a concept that comes up in 11-22-63 in a really interesting way. It also comes up in the Terry Pratchett novel Nightwatch, amongst others, I'm sure. Those are just the two that, that came to mind. But this idea that you ha- if you want to change time, one, you really can't. But two, you if you could, you'd have to work really, really hard at it. Right. And... So we get this flashback. It's kind of interesting because it works both as a flashback and as a, this is actually what's happening to Desmond now. Right. Like it's not a true flashback. That's right. Because he's there. Like the current Desmond is there. So it's interesting from that perspective. It's heartbreaking too. It is. Because his whole relationship with Penny, Desmond also suffers from some ideas about that some ideas that come from toxic masculinity about what it means to be worthy, what it means to be a man and he has a large insecurity over the fact that he is not as wealthy as Penny and this causes their relationship to dissolve before whatever happened in the, that what made him go to prison. Right. And I think it's really sad. I think it's really sad that he couldn't ever learn from his mistakes, even though like he goes back and he knows that he's back in time and he's trying to change certain parts of it. He, it's like he realizes he can't change it and he could never change it. Right. And that's really sad. It is. Yeah. I like Penny. Penny seems Penny's cool. great. Penny seems really cool. Her dad is a jerk. Yeah. A rich, entitled jerk. The way he drinks the whiskey in front of him, like, ugh. What is it about jerk dads? Jerk dad. There's so many in this show. There are so many in this show. There's so many old white dude dads. There's Locke's dad. There's Jack's dad. There's Penny's dad. There's Kate's step 
dad who turned out to be her real dad. There's uh, Saeed's not real dad, but the white American army dad that like taught him how to torture army people. Dad. Like, and then like not white, but son's dad is also terrible. Right. So lots of bad dads in Lost. One of the best parts about the flashback, of course, is when he goes out on the street and sees a busker, and it is Charlie, Charlie Pace, who we find out his middle name, Charlie Hieronymus Pace. I think that's great. (laughs) Wow. Hieronymus is, of course, a reference to Hieronymus Bosch, a Renaissance-era painter who is known for his fantastic and somewhat hallucinogenic landscapes, religious and spiritual landscapes. Yeah. Uh, I think it's interesting that this is telling us, I think, something about the island because Hieronymus Miss Bosch is known most for his his Garden of Earthly Delights triptych, which has, like, the Garden of Eden on one end and hell on the other. Right. And he famously painted himself in hell, like yeah. a self-portrait in hell. So that might tell us something about what's going on in this island. Like, there's a lot of choices, and you have to sort of figure out which way you want to go. So there's that. But this is also a very Charlie-centric episode because on the island, Charlie is trying to get him to... Charlie thinks that Desmond is hitting on Claire. Charlie thinks everybody's hitting on Claire. Yeah, and I don't like it. It's not a good look on him. Yeah. I I really quickly, before we go into that, I just want to point out that Hieronymus Bosch is the name of the character from the show Bosch, who is played by Titus Welliver, who will later, in subsequent season, show up on Lost, and, if I am not mistaken, is the voice that you hear when you hear the words, previously on Lost. I'm pretty sure that's him. Yep. Didn't we confirm that at one point? Uh, We might have. But, so, I just, it's nothing except interesting. So I guess it's something. Charlie's playing Wonderwall. I know! I actually turned to you and was like, this is your Oasis reference. Because we've always talked about he, how he and his brother are like supposed to be the Gallaghers, right? Right. Like one of them is really talented and the other one has to be there because he's his brother. And so the, the Wonderwall thing just really drove that home, I think, for us. For me anyway. So yeah, I really loved this reference to Oasis, you know, as you said, bringing up the Wibbling rivalry, as it is called for some reason British people get that I don't. I just know that's what it's called, and they're they're mean to each other, but they're better than Damon Alburn. Anyway, that's still topical. This episode's coming out tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> so Fork you, Damon Albarn. Oh, fork you. Ugh. Anyway. At least Charlie writes his own songs. Oh, no. Well, maybe he's more of a co-write, co-songwriter, though. Because <laughs> I don't know if he worked with his... I mean, I know he didn't really work with his brother, but would Damon Albarn know that? So maybe he would have just said, you know, he's a co-writer, which isn't really writing. But actually, he would have said that Charlie Pace is a songwriter, and I can tell you why. Because he's a man. His songs are just too upbeat for me. Oh. Uh, you bore everybody. <laughs> On that happy jocular note, Charlie's going to die. Yeah, that was, I was not expecting that at all because I was still stuck on the idea that perhaps he was seeing the future and he is actually seeing the future. He's just seeing Charlie's future. So this has just become final destination for Charlie. 
<laughs> That's terrifying. This idea that Charlie, he keeps seeing Charlie die and he keeps trying to save him. But the problem is because time wants to happen. Time wants Charlie to die. He's going to die one way or another. And Desmond could only forestall it for so long. Was not expecting it. It hit a lot of emotional gut yeah. punches. Flashes Before Your Eyes is just a great episode because it's Desmond-centric and we get major plot movement. Now it's time to talk about not a great episode, Stranger in a Strange Land or Uh. the tattoo episode. Damon Lindelof was asked what his least favorite episode of Lost was. He cites Homecoming which is the one where Claire comes back after being abducted. And the interviewer says, I'm surprised by that answer. It's not an episode fans usually name as their least favorite. Lindy says, the episode fans bring up most often is Stranger in a Strange Land, which is the episode with Biling and Jack and his tattoos. And basically, I feel like it's unfair to bag on that episode. Am I a huge fan of it? No. But at the same time, there were so many different circumstances that led to that episode that needed to be written and so many ideas that didn't work. The fact that it all coalesced, there was a bad casting decision made, there was a bad premise decision made, there was a bad flashback story, just everything that it could go wrong. But I don't think it was because the script was terrible. Buddy, I think you just said the script was terrible. Later on... He says on Twitter, on further reflection, I'm willing to admit that Stranger in Strange Land was a little bit pitchy. And then, a few years later, when Carlton Hughes is asked which is the worst episode, I mean, I think the episode where Jack gets his tattoos in Thailand. I think it's cringeworthy, where he's flying the kite on the beach. It was not our finest hour. We used Matthew Fox's real tattoos. That's how desperate we were for flashback stories. They are out of gas, dude. The problem they had with that episode is that it was pitchy and he cringeworthy because he flew a kite on the beach, not the white colonialism violence against native traditions. Yeah. (laughs) Racism? Right. And seriously, of all the things are wrong with this episode, you're going to say that you shouldn't have cast Bai Ling. You're gonna say that's what you're gonna that's what you're gonna go with? That's it? Biling was the mistake you made when you made this episode. I I hated this episode. Well, it's bad. So the next episode that we're gonna talk about, Trisha Tanaka is dead, and Stranger in a Strange Land are both pretty representative of different ends of the spectrum of Lost for me. They are both very different moods. This one. Like, Jack has just plummeted, in my opinion. (laughs) I already said at the beginning of watching this third season that Jack was going down in my estimation because it was talking about one of the worst things he ever did was stalking his wife. This was worse. Yeah. Holy crap, this was worse. I mean, for a season where I just... There is a scene later in this season that has to be the most emotionally affecting scene ever in the history of television. And if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. But this season also has the pod episodes. It has this episode. We haven't even gotten to the Nikki and Paolo episode yet. Oh, God. Which is better than this one. I 
So Stranger in a Strange Land, obviously a biblical reference to Joseph in Egypt. Sure. Fine. Whatever. You want to make the biblical cool. reference? Cool. Let's not make it about a white dude in Thailand who went there to find himself, maybe fly a kite, and who gets into a relationship with a local Thai woman, gets drunk, follows her to her place of work, discovers that her place of work, that she is part of a really sacred, really spiritual, cultural practice, physically threatens her unless she allows him into that cultural practice, which he is not supposed to be part of because he is an outsider. And we're supposed to think that because of all that, because what she saw in him was that he's a leader, that that's supposed to be fine. Like, I was like pretty okay with those dudes beating the crap out of him and then telling him to get on the next plane out of Thailand. Like, God, that was really disturbing. Like every part of that interaction was disturbing. Jack is like not a good person at all. What? Like, I thought maybe he was like on the lighter end of that that scale that I keep talking about. No, he's on the darker end. Okay. Because of this one episode. Well, I I won't say that they're not trying to complicate his character on purpose, right? I I think that maybe the things that happened in Thailand, maybe the things the the stalkery part of his personality, I mean, maybe they're trying to build something to say no, no, no. He does need redemption. And so the tattoo, we are told, of course, it means something different, literally. But we are told when Sheriff says to him, Sheriff Other says, that the tattoo means he walks amongst us, but he is not one of us, which feels like Achara's uh, revenge, right? To say that he made me do it, basically. Mm -hmm. But it also somehow describes his personality as well. He is one of those people who never fits in. He will never fit in wherever he goes. Right. And we're supposed to be told that that's like an important part of his personality. It's just, it feels bad. There's just so much violence against brown women. And the way that this is portrayed it just feeds into that. Like between this and his ex-wife, who is a white woman, I just don't think Jack, I think Jack is a deeply misogynistic. Like this season has actually told me that. And he's kind of racist. Like he had no problem pinning Bai Ling's character up against the wall, like, and threatening her. I don't, I just, I hated this. I hated everything about what has happened to this character because <laughs> I just do not like, I don't know if I care about him anymore. I care about Juliet and I'm like, Juliet run girl, get out of this right now. Holy role reversal, Batman. You don't like Jack, but let me ask you a question deep down. And I mean, deep down is Sawyer a good dude. He's better than Jack at this point. Okay. But yes or no. Can't get out of his own way, but he's better. Yes or no? Is yes. Sawyer a good dude? I think so. Okay. So exhibit A, Carl. He lets Carl, Carl. go because Carl's in love. And so even Sawyer <laughs> knows that when you love somebody, you have to go. If you name stars with a girl, you must go to her. But he can't do it for Kate. Well, no, because he's broken. And exhibit B... He helps Hurley with the car. Oh, my God. He helped Hurley with the poor. By the way, before we go any farther, poor Roger Workman. <laughs> it's sad. 
So, I mean, exhibit B, those are two reasons he's not. And of course, and of course, you could say to me that in this episode, he calls Hurley snuffy, blockhead, international house of pancakes, and jumbotron. And of course, he also calls Charlie Oliver Twist, Munchkin, and Jiminy Cricket, which is, you know, funny. I don't like how fat phobic the show can be sometimes about Hurley. But Hurley is clearly one of the best characters on the show. Well, yeah. I, and- I had better not find out that Hurley was like committing genocide in some country okay. during a flashback. So, so speaking of Hurley committing genocide, which he did not do, as far as we know, in this final episode that we watched for this week, uh, it's a Hurley flashback. Yay, I love Hurley. Featuring Cheech Marin as his estranged dad. I don't like this episode. Really? I loved it. The the stuff with the, the minibus is fine, but and I love how they pried the VW logo off and replaced it with Dharma. That's that's great. That's great Dharma branding, guys. You got your PR down, you're hitting people with buses, you're rebranding minibuses. Maybe you just know what to do with buses. I don't know. <laughs> um Dharma Initiative, we know what to do with buses. I aggressively don't like this Hurley flashback because uh, there's a tone to all of Hurley's flashbacks, except for the aside. Well, no, even that one. There's a tone of like absurdism because we are at the same time supposed to believe that these numbers are a real thing, but we're also supposed to laugh. And I don't feel like they do a very good job of hitting their marks on both things at once. I don't like Cheech Marin as his dad. I just, I find that house to be aggressively annoying with the gold Jesus and all that. It's nothing to me. Patricia Tanaka thing's a fun throwaway joke, but to me it doesn't fit on Lost. I don't know. I don't like it. See, I loved it. I thought it was, I thought the Trisha Tanaka thing was the right level of absurdity like you were talking about. Like, he's so worried that the building is going to catch fire or there's going to be some kind of accident. And instead, (laughs) a meteor descends from the heavens and hits the chicken shack that he's bought and kills. He told her not to go in. He did tell her not to go in. He told her not to go in. I like Hurley because, like you said, they're funny and there's this level of absurdity. But Hurley is a legitimately sad character. Yeah, a sad clown. Of, He's a sad a clown. A lot of terrible things have happened to Hurley, even right. before this episode. And so for me, learning that like his father had abandoned him and that's like that to me and the ways in which life keep, con- life has constantly been knocking Hurley down. Yep. But Hurley is the one who is not only the one of the best people on the island, but he is the one with the most perspective. I think. And he is able to find those little moments in the middle of everything in order. He's the one that found the golf course. He's the one that, that finds the bug and is like, we can fix it. And he gets everyone involved. He gets Jin involved, even though Jin doesn't know what's happening at first. It doesn't matter. Sawyer comes back, finds out that Charlie and Hurley have been through his stuff, gets angry, goes out into the jungle to chew Hurley out, and ends up drinking beer and helping him with the bug. That is how much Hurley, people love him because he can give them these little moments on this terrible, terrible island. 
Charlie like gets out of his funk because he knows he's going to die. And so Hurley talks him into getting into that bug and almost dies anyway, <laughs> trying right. to get that bug started. Like there's these little like the moment when the car turned over and they're just driving around and they all pile in the back and they're just doing donuts out in the jungle and they're all laughing. Despite the fact that Sawyer said not moments ago, like. When Hurley says we need a little hope, Sawyer says, I think we're on the wrong island for that. None of that's changed. None of that has changed. But it is this little moment of catharsis, right, that Hurley is able to give us just to be able to laugh and to be able to see that, like, perspective. So I think that this episode works on that level, this idea that Hurley has had a terrible life that was terrible before he crashed on this island. Right. And he can still find, like, these little moments. I don't like the implication that he started eating and became fat because his dad left. Right. I'm never going to like the stuff about Hurley's weight. Yeah. Um, not in this way, but everything else I really loved about it. And I loved it, especially maybe because it came after such a terrible episode. Well, it, yeah, it could have been worse. They could have handled Jorge Garcia's weight about as well as they handled Matthew Fox's tattoos. Yeah, that's so, true. That and, is true. And I mean, this is the thing about lost. This is the reason. This is why lost got so underneath my skin. This These last four episodes are a perfect example. So you have a completely unsatisfying pod of episodes. You come back with those two episodes. They're so good. Right. And with the revelation about Charlie, it's just like, oh my God, this is great. I love you. Let's never fight again. And then we have Stranger in a Strange Land. Yeah. And then we come back with Trisha Tanaka is Dead, which I don't think is a good episode. But the stuff with Hurley and the bus makes up for it. Like it's they're such, constantly doing this. It's such good character work. But this is what this yeah. is what Lindelof and Cuse do. They dig themselves holes and they always get out until the end. Yeah. That's to me, that's the problem with the finale. They did not dig themselves out of the final hole. And I contend that those of you who like the end are just happy to be in that particular hole. I don't want to be in that hole. Now, where uh, we- also, can I just say, also, can I just say that Hurley's, I know we did it at the beginning of the pod, but Hurley's whole like, shut up, you redneck man. man. Sawyer's response is one of my favorite things that has ever happened. He just looks at Hurley because he knows that somehow he's pushed Hurley too far, even though that what he's just said was ridiculous and terrible. And he just goes, touche. Yeah. Like, yeah. like he knows. Sawyer knows the word touche. He does know the All word right. touche. And he's drinking beer that has clearly been expired <laughs> and warm yeah. for so long. Like. Doesn't matter. How is he not? How has his insides not exploded by the end of this episode? Uh, bile and rage. <laughs> so, all right. Vincent. We can't forget that Vincent was in uh, that episode. Fine. What do you want to say about Vincent? Vincent is in this episode. Okay. I'm so worried about Vincent. I don't know. Those of you who are out there who are watching Lost, don't tell me. But every time we don't see Vincent for a few episodes, I really worry about his well-being. I'm really glad to see that he's looking well-fed. It's a little disturbing that he's the one who brings the arm to Hurley, but I feel like he knew that Hurley needed a, a good day. And he's there. He's there the whole time. He's just like hanging out, watch him fix it. And then he's like, he gets in the car. He goes on the joy ride. Like, I'm happy that he's happy. Speaking of happy people, when Hurley asks for help with the with the side mission, our, our pal Nikki is the first to volunteer to participate, but Paolo doesn't let her have any fun. 
Classic Paolo. I hate Classic Paolo. sad sack. No fun. We can't do anything good. Paolo. I hate Paolo already. He's a, I don't know him well. Oh, but no, I no, no. Him. We've always hated him. Okay. All three seasons. All right. Okay. Three seasons? From day one. In that pilot episode, he was a wet blanket. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Whatever. No, he's Steve. <laughs> that was a fun joke. Paolo. No, he's Paolo. Oh, jeez. We get that little joke. Uh, Jin is learning English. Yeah. And we get that scene at the beginning where, where Son is like, I will only speak English to you because it's the only way you'll learn. And you don't need the next few lines to be translated to know exactly what Son is saying. But it turns out he does want to learn English. But because he's still a prideful jerk, he doesn't want his wife to teach him. He wants to do it by himself. And classically, the best way to learn a new language is without any resources by yourself. Or to ask Sawyer. Well, that who, is also a choice. Who will teach you all of the terrible things that he likes to say. Also, Sawyer in the back gathering all the beer when he suddenly screams, <laughs> why is there a human head in here? Oh, yeah, that's there. Um, <laughs> so this this episode does end very poignantly. Charlie, sitting shotgun, tells Hurley about dying. And Hurley's response is to tell Charlie about hope. And that's it. How does that make you feel? That was not the end of the episode, but... It was the end of the episode. There's nothing else that happened. End of the episode in my heart. That's right. I teared up a little bit. I'm not going to lie. Hurley is great. Like, I... I mean, I've already said everything that I need to say about him. He just... He has such... He's he's optimistic in the face of reality. Yeah. And I like that of all the people, partially because of his history with mental health, like I said, one of my favorite scenes from the first season is his episode where he hugs Rousseau because he's just like, he's finally found somebody. Like they have this connection of they both have been considered crazy by other people yeah. and they both recognize that they're not crazy and it's just this moment of catharsis. This is what this moment is for me. This is him telling Charlie I get it. I understand. Charlie does not extend the same empathy to him, but I think he's getting there by the end of the episode. Yeah. Can I just say that I hate it when the facts get in the way of a really good transition that I'm making and you point it out? You could just let me have it. If I just let you have it, why even have a podcast? Okay, that's it for today. Join us next week for more Tessa Watches Lost. You can find me on Twitter at Sam underscore Morris 9, and you can find Tessa at Suela Tessa. Until next time, there's no such thing as time travel, Des. From what I understand, true love can be just as unlikely. <laughs>